Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. Today, I will be sharing my interview with Dr. Richard Feisman. I met Dr. Feisman through a recommendation from Dr. Jacqueline Benson at the University of Missouri. Dr. Benson saw a post about the podcast on Facebook and responded with several great recommendations, so big thanks to her. Dr. Feisman currently works as the National Director of Evaluation for an organization called Teach Plus. He wasn't even sure if he wanted to attend college. Be sure to listen until the end to hear that story. However, he went on to earn a bachelor's degree in psychology from Columbia University, a master's degree in social studies education from Teachers College, Columbia University, and a PhD in family studies with a specialization in human rights leadership from the University of Missouri. In this episode, he discusses his experience teaching middle school, teaching abroad, and working in applied research to benefit educators throughout the country. As is true for all interviewees on this podcast, Dr. Feisman's views are his own as a private citizen and do not reflect the views of his current, former, or future employers. Without further ado, here is his interview. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Feisman. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. And we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it so that we can get as much information as possible in the time that we have. To begin, can you tell me a little bit about how you first discovered the field of HDFS? So for me, HDFS was not something that I had heard about in undergrad. What happened with me was I went into, I was in psychology and economics as an undergrad. And then I went on to teach for a little while. And I started getting very interested in the family and community aspects of being an educator. And so once I became interested in that, I started exploring and that's how I discovered HDFS. It was more of a Google, I wanna learn more about families and communities. And it actually brought me uh, to finding the Mizzou website where I ended up getting my PhD. Oh, well, that's interesting. I do wanna rewind just a little bit. So <laughs> psychology and economics, that's an interesting combination. How did, um, what led you to pursue that as an undergraduate? So when I was doing my undergraduate, uh, I was very much, it was, it was kind of, so my background is I came, I came from two kind of, you know, working class parents, both were federal employees, and school was something you just kind of got done. And so high school we went through, you're just kind of check, 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 and then college was starting to be that as well. There wasn't a lot of future planning, and it was more I just knew I liked, liked people and I wanted to help support people in some way. And so I wanted to take that aspect of, okay, a couple people have helped me out. How can I help out others? And psychology seemed like the thing to do. Um, a couple years in, after I, and I was in, I was at Columbia University and their psychology department is very uh, behavioral based. And so I started really kind of getting interested in, all right, what would I do in addition to this? And so economics was something I take up as like a minor. They call it a concentration, but it's just like a minor. Um, and so the combination was, all right, I'm going to prepare for a career. I do not 100% know what I'm going to do. Um, I want to help people, but I want to understand some element of business as well. And that's how we got psychology and economics. Okay. Um, yeah, I love hearing about just the combinations and how people, um, how people find their way to them. It's just uh, always interesting to hear. So tell me, what led you to decide to teach right after your undergraduate? It was about, so when I, when I graduated, it was 2002 and for undergrad. And I knew, once again, the base element was, all right, how can I work in kind of support and helping fields? And I really respect education. It was something I was always 
very interested in it. And just, I was also uh, broke. So what helped, <laughs> what helped a lot is they were recruiting uh, people without education backgrounds. This was kind of that, that Teach for America model. I was part of a group called Columbia Urban Educators. Okay. And what they were doing, yeah, is they were recruiting people out of undergrad to go work in the highest need middle schools in New York. So they picked these five junior highs. Um, and it was brought you right into the classroom. You started teaching that summer after you graduated. And you were, and it also one of the benefits was it was paying for your master's at Teachers College in Columbia as well. And so it was something where I didn't 100% know what I was interested in. I know I really was interested in teaching. I wanted to help people. Let's try out education. And then I kind of fell in love with being an educator. Uh, so that's, that's where that kind of came together. Talk about being thrown right into the fire because middle school is, I think it's pretty commonly known is <laughs> it's pretty hard to retain teachers in middle school, or at least historically it's, <laughs> it's yeah. difficult. And then you start teaching. They throw you right in right after you graduate. What was that experience like for you? It was, it, it was, it was an interesting zone. It was one of those situations where you feel really bad for the students because what it was a time of high term turmoil. This was right during uh, No Child Left Behind had just been authorized. Right. Uh, the the schools we were in had very high teacher turnover. So in my in my cohort of like nineteen, I think within two or three years. Uh, there was only a number, maybe three or four teachers left in the building that had started when I did. Um, and by, I ended up, I stayed at school five years and there was only one or two other ones by the time I was there. Wow. And so it was very high turnover. It was very kind of chaotic. And it was very interesting because you had a whole bunch of new teachers. So like there was a group of teachers that were under five years experience and then a group that had been over 20 years experience but no one really in the middle so it was a it was a strong opportunity to try out new things and to explore uh ways to go about uh being an educator and learning what you're doing but unfortunately it was just so many new teachers it was could not have been the best situation for the students no yeah i mean no mentorship there at that mid-level yeah um okay so you stayed there five years what what i don't know um what led you to decide to leave and what did you do right after you left teaching? Sure. So I loved the school and I, it, it was one of those interesting spots where I ended up kind of moving through. It was one of those spots where if you were looking around, you're like, oh, I wish this thing was happening. You're the one that needed to do it. <laughs> so, so in that situation, you know, you start starting these sports teams, you start working on these student government sections, you start creating like different after school activities and then eventually end up in these leadership roles. And it becomes, I became what I later learned is what we, in my current position, we call a teacher leader. But it's basically over there is called a team advocate where you, lead, you end up leading a team of teachers that are working with a group and you follow the, a group of students from sixth grade through eighth grade. So you kind of have this cohort model. And so I eventually worked with them for a number of years, kind of moving up. And by the time I got to about five years in, I realized that I, I was missing that mentorship model. It's interesting you brought that up before. It, it was one of those situations of, I'm a fifth year teacher. I really sh shouldn't be thinking I'm at the top in my area right now. There should be other people I can talk to and work with. Um, and that just wasn't there. And so that created a, kind of a looking forward to what are other opportunities to do this. I also became really interested in the uh, the family aspects. It became this situation where I could have, a, it, there's a lot of 
the best way to say. There's a lot of kind of sad stories that would pop up there where really, really strong students that something popped up in the back family background and they just would disappear or students that were having harder times from the beginning, but if you could help them kind of figure out how to negotiate a lot of family conflict, all of a sudden they can come right back. So it, it became really apparent to me that that family life and community was more important than even curriculum, which when I went in, I used to be, all right, we're going to help them out with all these curriculum aspects. And it became really clear that uh, setting up teachers to be able to work with students from a variety of backgrounds was really important and how to support students in engaging the school system in general. And so I became curious about that. Uh, and what ended up happening was right after teaching, I ended up just kind of taking a, a break. I'd been kind of going straight through, uh, I went, you know, high school, college, masters, and all of a sudden I just wanted to try something different. So I ended up picking up a teaching job in China and working over there for a year. In fact, I, I had tested the waters earlier. I was working, I worked for uh, another group where we, would, we went to Cambodia for a year and exchanged kind of teacher uh, curriculum ideas with uh, Cambodian educators. And I did that wow. for a summer and that was really interesting. Yeah, it was a great, it, it, part of their system was they would bring in uh, educators from a lot of different countries to talk to their early teachers, their teachers in training basically about how they do things. And so that was a really interesting trip. And so I ended up kind of going off and doing a similar thing where I worked uh, worked in kind of a bilingual uh, college situation in, in China for a year as I figured out what I wanted to do next. And I was, grad school was always kind of in my brain, like talking about going on towards that doctorate because one of the things I realized when I was starting to explore what I needed to do, uh, it realized that the people that were doing what I wanted to do had doctorates and I needed to figure out, all right, this is a, this is a this is a element that I need in order to kind of go off into this next level of uh, my career. Yes, and you know what? As I'm sitting here listening to your um, your story about this portion of your career, um, what strikes me is this fact that you were able to um, even during this time of transition and maybe feeling like a little bit unsure about what you wanted to do next, you were able to kind of take advantage of to, to be open to neat opportunities like um, the mm -hmm. training program in Cam Cambodia, helping to train um, and exchange with teachers there. Like, and were you teaching English in China? And in China, yeah, I was working with students who were working in English translation departments. And so oh, okay. they, were, they wanted to talk with natives. So I, I was teaching a class on uh, basically, yes, working with American accented English translation. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you um, have this very traditional route early on of this kind of classroom teaching, but then you move on to this, uh, this leadership roles uh, within teaching. And then also you're able to go international and pick up some new experiences there. And so then this kind of, in this exploration process, you realize some of the things I'm super passionate about are related to family. And by the way, some of these people are, <laughs> they have their doctorate, their doctoral degree. Okay, so what was the um application process or the seeking out of graduate school processes uh, like for you mm -hmm. and so that's a great point because what it was was the first thing the first thing it was job based so for me it was i'd already been in i'd already been teaching for a while so i'd already kind of seen i was kind of seeing this avenue i always kind of was really interested in in uh, non-government organizations if i was looking at international work 
uh, one of the one of the kind of the dreams I was having early on was going into different school districts and help in in developing countries and helping them kind of model the school district they're looking for. For a lot of them, they're still trying to get universal education to exist. Um, and so it was trying to. I was that was kind of this original idea. Was, All right, how can we go and help developing countries uh, work this out and create systems where they can educate all their students? And so I was looking at different jobs and NGOs and nonprofits that were doing that. And that's, that's where I started saying, okay, this is where I grad further graduate school is what I need here. And so when I started doing it, it was, I was overseas, I was in China and I started just looking, it was, it was using the internet. It was just looking around, trying to figure out what's available, how do people do this uh, and what's going on. And I have a, I had at least a very strong coastal bias. I grew up in Los Angeles and I did most of my, under, I did my undergraduate and master's in New York. So I'd spent, I was one of those guys that said, oh yeah, I know the United States really well. Uh, <laughs> and, and then people would go, well, you've only been on in New York and Los Angeles. I don't think that really counts. And even my own students in China were really funny. They're like, that's not the U.S. And I'm like, what do you mean that's not the U.S.? It's like, no, that's like an, that's an international city. That's, that's just like anywhere else. And so they were funny because they were actually saying when they wanted to come to the United States, they wanted to go to the Midwest. They wanted to be in all these different spots, because that's where they, that's how, in their words, that's where they thought like really America was. That's where you can kind of see what was going on. Wow. Uh, and so that actually influenced me to look in more spots. I actually had only been considering coastals. And what's interesting, when you look at HDFS programs in general, they're all over the place. And a lot of times they are in the center of the country. You can find a lot of them over, especially they tend to be attached to uh, land grant colleges that have yep. extension programs. And so and those are many, many times out in a variety of different areas. And so that opened me up a lot more. So I was actually influenced by my students to start looking a little bit more. And then I found Mizzou and I was, that's where I had never been to Missouri, never heard about it. Um, but I liked the idea of their program. I liked, I was looking at what was going on. I had some, some curiosities about post-divorce families based on my own experiences. And that's, and they have that strong step families department there. Uh, and so that's, it attracted me that way. And so then it just became kind of an applic application process overseas, which was a little complicated, but overall it ended up bringing me there. And it wasn't too far off. When I went to my undergrad, I'd never been to New York either. So I was already kind of not, I wasn't too worried about going to a place I'd never been, but it, it was kind of a brand new region. Definitely. Yeah. And then you're also dealing with kind of um, larger city versus, you know, smaller city, smaller town mm -hmm. uh, environment mm -hmm. as well. And did you mention earlier that you were first generation college student? I was not totally first generation. My mother uh, did get a bachelor's degree um, okay. and she was the first in her family ever. Okay. Um, I, the way I like to think about it is the difference in our grouping was I was the first one that kind of tried to use, that started trying to think of college as something different than high school. Yeah. Um, that transition where it's not just about getting the grade and getting to the next grade. Like that was really, fr and that was very, I, I appreciate my parents for instilling that in me because that helps you get things done and getting through. Um, but it didn't help with kind of that larger growth thinking aspect. And so it took a little while to recognize that, oh, once you're in undergrad, thinking of career uh, and thinking of how, kind of overall what you want to do is, is a different thing like the, it the, is. The, nature, the nature of academia is a lot different than high school oh. <laughs> definitely yeah and you know what I feel like that's something that is not discussed um, very often or at least I, I don't think about it as often um, but yeah there is this kind of it seems like it it takes a little while longer 
um, to kind of move out of just the safety of just getting, getting the degree to check the box to kind mm -hmm. of being willing to take more chances. I mean, and maybe there's some, I mean, there lots, lots of different reasons that, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, if first generation college students, I mean, they might be, um, there might be a need to go directly into the workforce and directly into something that's a little bit more straight and narrow. Like but, taking um, a teaching job that pays you a master's. Exactly, <laughs> like you did. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, but, but yeah, as you go on, um, maybe, I don't know how I want to say, I mean, I guess as, as time goes on, as you get further away from the first generation, then there is sometimes the opportunity to take a few more risks, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it looks like you were able to take advantage of that. So I like how you put that. Um, you were the first one to kind of think of it beyond um, just kind of getting the degree. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you move. So when you come back from China, do you have any time to, to go kind of back home or back somewhere or you go straight to Missouri when you get back from China? I popped into New York where I packed everything into a storage locker. I called my brother out and we got a U-Haul and we just drove from New York to Missouri. Didn't That's have any, awesome. we, just, we just showed up in a U-Haul. I had a couple turtles in the truck and <laughs> we, we drove overnight and it was really amusing. And we just showed up in Columbia, Missouri. It was the first time either of us had ever been there. It was very humid. We were not ready for that. It was kind of amusing. And we got a hotel room and then we started looking for an apartment. Found one in a couple days. And, we were off. And you then were back off. to LA. Yeah. I love that family support. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I owe him many moves, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I owe my parents some, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Okay. So, what was the graduate school experience like for you? And you can answer that however you want. Just kind mm -hmm. of what stands out for you in terms of, well, particularly that doctoral student experience, because you'd already gotten your master's at teaching yeah. technology. Yeah. And I, yeah. And so, what was interesting. So for me, it was great. It was exhausting and a lot of work and great. And it's because of the perspective. For me, it was, that's what was interesting about it too, is I was coming in from a half decade out and I had been teaching, I had been doing other things and I'd been, you know, I'd been getting my master's at the same time, but it wasn't the same thing as the doctoral experience where you're taking really interesting new classes uh, for me, it was learning statistics in much stronger detail and getting a lot of experience with program evaluation, which I didn't have before. I had a little bit of opportunity to work with some action research and some testing out some other things. But that part was really exciting to me. And I knew why I was there. I was there to get my PhD so I could go out and go into the world and, and, and be part of these programs that, that can change the world kind of again. I, so for me, it was it wasn't so much the work smart. I wanted to read everything and learn about it and figure out what's going on. And once again, I'm still broke. And so it's nice that they're paying his stipend and I can kind of just walk to campus. And it was the first time in my life that I could really engage the learning process because I was there for a reason beyond just getting it done. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was this content area. It was just, I was a little, if, if you're looking at like the emerging adult literature, I'd finally gotten to the point where I had all these transitions, kind of figure out what I was going to do, but it was like, I'm here and now, and I'm actually doing something I'm really interested in doing. Uh, I loved being a teacher, but it was also, it was, it felt like there was a next step that I wanted to do as well. And I, and I needed what, what this, what graduate school had to offer to, to do that. 
And I also imagine, I mean, now you're able to really truly immerse yourself as you're kind of alluding to um, in the work. I mean, whereas before you were balancing teaching middle school Correct. while you were at teacher's college. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with the doctoral, many, many of the doctoral programs in the United States, they do provide you some modest <laughs> living mm-hmm. stipend. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not going to get rich off of it, but, you know, you have some living stipend and so you're able to really focus um, and immerse yourself in the program. So you loved it. Mm -hmm. What what were the classes like for you? And then what other experiences did you have beyond the classroom in graduate school that really stand out to you? Sure, so the classes, I I have had the benefit of of my, my advisor was Marilyn Coleman out of Missouri and her, her husband, Lawrence Ganong, who are both these very well-established step family researchers. So it was their whole model is to treat you like a professional. Mm-hmm. And so you come in and they give you a ton of work and give you a lot of stuff and don't sugarcoat much. And so what was interesting is what, what grad school helped give me was the ability to just practice my writing all the time. Because everything else up to that point wasn't like that. It wasn't these situations where your writing is going to be heavily critiqued. It was more getting stuff done. It was the, my master's program was really, I was trying to, I needed to get my master's, otherwise I don't get to teach anymore. And so it was, uh, New York requires a master's. So it's like one of those things that it's just, you, that's why you're there. And so it's once again, just trying to like check things off. Here, I was actually able to engage in these kind of, kind of these writing cycles and they were, it was, it was not fun. Like that was exhausting and, and hard, but it was there and it was available. And you could pair that with, right when I got there, they had, this was when all the relationship education funding was out from the Healthy Marriage Initiative. And they had a very large uh, program that they needed evaluators for. And so as part of it, I could work as a, basically like a full-time evaluator. Uh, I think it's like technically 0.7 because you know if they're full, they have to give you benefits. But like, it's, <laughs> I had benefits through the grad school though, so there's that. Yeah. But it's like uh, I could do that and learn all these. So I'm still I'm getting to test real world research, is which which is what I'm much more interested in. I was always interested in messy research and data sets, mm-hmm. and so here I could work with managing thousands of 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 cases in a data set that are just being created for the first time, and so that was a great like real world experience. And then pair that with I'd already been a teacher for a long time, so it was easy to kind of quickly transition into teaching at the undergrad level as well. And so my first semester there, I was shadowing a, uh, I was shadowing one of their graduate students who was teaching a course on intimate relationships and marriage. And within the next semester, uh, I was getting to teach it on my own. And so I was teaching two or three classes, working as an evaluator, all these things are increasing your stipend and being able to then learn uh, all these really interesting statistics and family life courses along the way. That is awesome. Yeah, you had so many um, just high impact experiences very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mentioned about the writing that took me back. I mean, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. That's that's the time when your writing will be the most heavily critiqued, and it comes as a shock to a lot of incoming. It's amazing. <laughs> students. I, there's this great meeting of us sitting us around the table on our first year and then looking at us say, this is some of the worst stuff we've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just what they do. I think they kind of do that to everybody. <laughs> and then they, and they, but then you like, they building you up and showing you how to do this correctly and they treat you like how they would treat a colleague. And it was great. It was, yes. it was 
It was, it, it builds your calluses. It but does. It is, it, it is good for you. <laughs> so know that all of the doctoral students out there, everybody's having to go through that meticulous critique. Yeah. Uh, okay. So when you are um, coming toward the end of your doctoral study, Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? Like, what is your plan? And then what do you actually end up doing when you finish? So this is where things got a little interesting. So I came to Mizzou to finish my PhD. And then I was thinking, all right, I'm going to go to Cambodia and fix the school system. I'm going to create it so families and teachers are working together. I'm going to go to some other country. And this is what I'm going to do. Uh, if you remember, I was shadowing somebody who was teaching intimate relationships in marriage. Well, yes. Fell in love with that person and ended up marrying her. Oh. <laughs> so. What a cool ACFS. Yeah. Really? So. I mean, so in she, an relationships course. Yeah, it was really funny. So we ended up partnering and uh, we got married while I was grad students. And she was, she was in the program a couple years before me. Um, and she graduated before me. And so she stuck around and adjunct taught and she actually became the director of graduate studies so amusingly when i got finished a year or two later my <laughs> wife hooded me <laughs> on so stage funny. her signature is my dgs which is pretty funny so what ended up happening though is you're not going to go off and create international school systems because we also had our first child the year i graduated so okay. our first young popped up in 2014 right when i finished and so she had taken a position in the University of New Hampshire. So she, she, is a, she is faculty out here in New Hampshire at the University of New Hampshire. And I was in the position of, all right, I just graduated. Now I, we have a spot because we weren't going to play. We were going to, as, as you know, academic jobs are crazy. So you never know where you're going to end up. We were so excited that we ended up in New Hampshire. Yes. And so what, it, what that created was my job once we got here was, all right, I have between Portland, Maine and Boston, Mass to find the work that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it became. It became, unlike doing the national search, it became, all right, I got two urban centers and everything in between to figure out what my next step is uh, in terms of career. So I actually came here, we didn't know anybody, we had zero connections. All we had was uh, uh, Tyler, my partner, ended up having a position and we went from there. That is such a cool story. <laughs> <laughs> She's awesome, it. by the way. Definitely Google Tyler Jameson. She is very, High quality qualitative researcher out there. And I, I will, I will definitely Google. And the, um, I'm also thinking really quickly, I mean, what was that like to transition to parenthood while still in a doctoral program, writing your dissertation, I presume, but maybe. Yeah, it, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's one of those interesting things that we, and this is getting off into a whole other tangent of family science, I get that. But it was at the point where it was like, you know what? Because she was interviewing while pregnant. You know, she's mm -hmm. interviewing for her first, uh, her first tenure track position in her life while pregnant. So that's kind of intimidating as well. It was one of those things that it was like, there is no good time. So if you want children, have children. <laughs> we were not, you know, if, if you can, if you're looking at the years of my history, we were not on the younger side. She was a straight through. Uh, but we were on the side of like, if you want kids, have kids, because otherwise you're managing it during your first year of tenure, or first yeah. year, or you're managing it in your third, or you're managing it while you're finished. Like waiting isn't going to, wasn't in our family situation, it wasn't going to benefit us. So we mm -hmm. just kind of did it. 
And so it was planful. It was, we kind of like, all right, I think, I think now's the time. <laughs> and so we kind of started. Yeah. I have a colleague because she had twins when she was in her, when she was writing her dissertation. I think she like really wow. used it as motivation to, she wasn't in my doctoral program. I didn't meet her until, until I was a faculty member, but she used that <laughs> motivation to, you know, really get that dissertation. Yeah. Chug along and really, you become very efficient. And actually, as I'm sitting here talking, I've forgotten the fact that my husband, <laughs> um, we had our first child right after he, um, right after he walked. And so, uh, you know, during my pregnancy, he was writing his dissertation and I See, did notice that yeah. he became very efficient. <laughs> with that <laughs> dissertation. You stop, somehow it does motivate you to stop, um, you know, maybe it stops some of the analysis paralysis. You start to move. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. It's like, because your husband's story is very similar to mine in that my kiddo, my first kiddo was born a little bit, like he was at there while I walked and he was born a little bit before. So everything was done, but the whole yeah. pregnancy time, like there was two things. One, your wife is pregnant and two, your wife's about to start her career because yes. she already got the job. It's like, you need to get done. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, this all needs to be done. <laughs> and yeah. So you're right. It very does not come together. <laughs> that is wonderful. That is such a cool story. Um, <laughs> okay. So you end up, you, you have this targeted search, which by the way, sometimes it is nice to have a targeted search because you are right. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're going only based on where a, a tenure track job will go, who knows where you might end up. Um, so you do have this focus um, search. Tell me about, you know, what, tell me about your work right after you graduated. So this is uh, where we got a little bit lucky in that one, we ended up in an area with two urban centers within, and in theory, 60 miles. So you're like, oh, okay, that's like an hour drive. It's, it's booked by this Boston stuff. It's like a two, three hour drive. Okay. But we created this zone and we, and we made some decisions. Like there had to be really conscious decisions. And, and one was that we're not going to move again. Like this is, Tyler's gonna go through our tenure process and we can figure things out as we go, but we're not gonna try to play the two, ten, like, we were open to the idea if it, if it came about like the two tenure game, but we also, it's not really what I wanted to do. It wasn't something that I was always looking for. Now, of course, if one was open, of course, I'm not going to not take a job, but it was one of the situations of, I always wanted to be in this kind of nonprofit space. And I, I switched from NGO nonprofit to just nonprofit now because I recognize I'm not going to be moving overseas to do what I'm doing. And so right after I started just kind of scamming out everything of what, what, what's available and how's the situation working, who you talk to. And eventually who I ended up working for was the state of New Hampshire. I ended up getting a position in the New Hampshire Department of Education in their Title I program. And what that is, is that is the group, that's the federal funding that supports the extra help that students receive in school. So sometimes if you were a kid and you got pulled out uh, to get a little extra tutoring that was probably title one support that did that okay. um, but it also has a huge family and community engagement component and that's the part i got really excited about and so i could sit there and i would do grants management i managed all the grant making for all the schools in the seacoast region of new hampshire and then also started creating systems for some of the parts that i cared the most about for me which was actually teen fathers i was really interested in families that involved a teen father um, and the main reason I had such a strong interest in it is this is a group that's really hard to work with. It's a group that isn't very popular. It's a group that tends to just drop out and disappear. And it's a group that's connected to all sorts of negative outcomes in the long run. 
So there's not a lot of positive news that when it really comes out to teen fathers. But when you look at them, uh, they're fascinating because most of the time teen fathers are not the same fathers as adult men who have children with teen women. It is, it is usually a teen father and teen mother have been partnered. They want to do a good job. They want to stick around. Uh, they have all these positive things, but they also tend to also disappear in the end. So I was able to actually secure some funding from the federal government through a grant that I wrote to create something called the E3 Teen Fathering Program in New Hampshire. And it was modeled to create kind of a universal support that provided teen fathers with three things that you can't remove, which is a high school diploma, living wage work experience, and experience in a positive fathering engagement with their family. Hmm. And so that became a really interesting program we ran for a little while. So yeah, I was with the New Hampshire Department of Education uh, for a couple of years, right? That was my first position here. Wow, yeah, that's fascinating. So many different um, components to that job and you're doing what you want to do, which is you're able to have that direct impact and help people while also mm -hmm. engaged in the research side of things. Yeah, and it was one of those, what was interesting, a lot of my modeling of jobs or graduate school or all these things is I go in and try to craft it to what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important because I kind of have this overarching theme of what I want to do, but it's, if I just went to grad school and took classes, it's just like, it, I wouldn't have said, oh, I really should check out this evaluation work. That seems like that's really related. Or we were able to create specializations in grad school. So I created one in human rights leadership because I was really interested in kind of all the human rights literature. And, yeah. and that, that gave me a lot of background in, in uh, a lot of like kind of the diversity, equity, inclusion work, which has been a pretty central role of my work since I came to New Hampshire. So that specialization helped. And so the same thing with that Department of Education job, what they really needed was someone who could help manage Title I funding. And I did that, but I could also create it into, well, Title I supports families. How can we do other family work with it and create things out of it? That is a good takeaway, um, one of many good takeaways that you brought up. But yes, this idea of job crafting and you know not always being turned off by a job right away if it doesn't have some key component, because you never know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so you stay there for a couple of years, and mm -hmm. then um, what's your next step after that? So my next step after that, I stayed there for a couple of years, and then I was given the opportunity to work for, I ended up jumping into the nonprofit world, and, and this is where it started getting a little bit more in the equity space, and so I was on the, the funder side with the state, uh, but then there was some openings at the Center for Collaborative Education in Boston, and so what I ended up doing with them is I worked, I got to do a lot more research. I got to do a lot more of that kind of work that I was, because uh, in the state, it was, I got to do kind of some of the program evaluation research, but mainly I was running and managing processes with the state. Okay. Uh, with the Center for Collaborative Education, I actually got to be a researcher again. Okay. And so that was really interesting because I could look at all their, it was, it, was, it was components of program evaluation, which is standard, standard grant writing and reporting. But you also got to do these large scale projects. And so CCE is a, uh, a kind of an equity first type organization. And one of the big projects we got to work with with them is they were able to work with the Boston Public Schools to get all of the data from every graduating class between for like a five or six year period. And, and we could examine which high schools uh, work best, were better serving uh, the black and brown male students. Mm. Um, and so they were able to take all these data sets and kind of explore these like large efficiency uh, rates uh, using hierarchical and linear modeling. But it was, it, was a, it was a cool project. So I ended up at CC for a little while, uh, specifically looking at that type of work. That is neat. Do you remember, do you recall, 
any of the distinguishing features between those schools who did seem to be doing better at, at serving black and brown? It was, it was super complicated. And what got interesting is, is they're still working on their finalized report, so I can't actually talk about what the gotcha. specifics were. Yeah, but it was, it's fascinating. <laughs> and so there were, th and, and what you can talk about is they did do a, a larger scale study beforehand as well. And it got to a lot of, and what it was examining was um, what, it, what that larger scale was actually looking at is kind of like the school building level factors. Like what's going on on the school building level that's actually allowing students to succeed. Because it seemed like what, what you're starting to see is like early entry to, entry to college was really influenced by the high school, but, but completion might have had some different factors involved. And so that's kind of the stuff they're looking at that's pretty interesting. Interesting. So we need to follow them on social media. So that they're great. They're yeah, great. So their head, of, their head of research is wonderful. We'll be in the know when they uh, <laughs> finalize a project. Um, okay. And so then what leads you to make a change? So that the change from there to where I currently am, which is Teach Plus, was mainly just career. I was, I was a, I was a, what was my actual title. I think I was an associate. Senior research associate? Yes, I was a senior research associate and I had the opportunity to become a director of my own research department. And so that's the change was there. I loved working with CC. They're still great researchers and I still try to actually connect with them whenever we get the chance. Um, but since I was able to run my own, as we like to joke around like an evaluation shop, it was a great opportunity to move over to Teach Plus because Teach Plus also has a fascinating mandate where their goal is to, to build up the capacity of teachers to have their, there's basically two ways they go about it. On one side, they're trying to promote teachers to include their voice in policy change across the country. So how, how do you take teacher voice to work on a variety of issues? Um, and the other side of it is how do you take teachers and improve their leadership ability to help their schools change in whatever topics that need support. A lot of it's based on just providing a, like leadership skills to a person who's already a strong professional at something and helping them explain why they're so good at something to other adults. Okay. Um, and so it's a really interesting model for turnkeying and continuous improvement. Yeah, I mean, it's, it rings, it just reminds me of uh, community-based participatory research. So yes. That kind of whole yes. scientist uh -huh. model. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and it also makes me think of some of my teacher friends <laughs> in the <laughs> system who are, you know, they get frustrated because they're like, they never asked us. You know, they never. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And it's also, yeah. And it's a huge problem. And it's a huge horizontal field where like, once you're a teacher, you're a teacher. And if you want to do something more, you have to become a principal and not teach anymore. That's really problematic. Uh, where you're taking your best teachers and moving them out of the classroom. And one of the goals of the, the projects that I, and, and, at, and at Teach Plus, what I do is on one side, I'm evaluating their program. So it's a much larger organization there across the uh, 14 states right now and, and serving like a thousand teacher leaders a year. And so it's, they are, I'm evaluating their programs, making sure that programs effective, that we're meeting grant reporting standards and those types of things. But the other side of it is also uh, kind of just talking about teacher leadership in general and promoting that nationally. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. It also makes me think of kind of, um, yeah, I guess the leadership development field as well. Um, yeah. Okay. So what is a typical day like for you at Teach Plus, if there is one? <laughs> a typical day at Teach Plus. What, 
It's interesting about Teach Plus for me, given the current environment is I was actually pretty much a fully remote employee before COVID-19 took place. Um, I actually live in the middle of, I live in Dover, New Hampshire, um, and Boston is quite a journey. So I've actually in a situation now where I, it's mainly a remote organization. So my day has been at my desk now for a couple years now in my house. Um, and so a typical day is usually a couple check-ins with staff to make sure that they're meeting kind of the data quality we need. So it's a lot of conversation pieces, um, making sure that all the systems are in place. The systems that we use a lot is we're, we're managing, you know, we probably manage about 400 some odd surveys a year on wow. SurveyGizmo. Um, we've had, I think in the last year, we've had 18,000 responses to our surveys. Oh. Um, and, and then we also use Salesforce, which is a CRM technology in order to kind of manage our application and effectiveness aspects of our programs and also our internal continuous improvement cycles. And so what I tend to do on a day is I'm either, it's a combination of working with regions to make sure they're getting the data they need depending on the time of year for programming. And then talking with the leadership of our organization, making sure the org is functioning in the way they expect it to and what other elements we need to do to uh, improve the data process or understand what's going on better. Yeah, so that's a lot. Yeah, a lot of technical things sort of in the mm -hmm. And so for anyone listening, the CRM, <laughs> It's a computer, uh, customer relationship management software. I'm familiar with Salesforce from some of my friends who work in business. Mm -hmm. um, but now, did you have any experience like working with these types of systems before you started working at Teach Plus? Or did you sort of have to learn on the job? Yeah, so here's what's interesting. So I started out, you know, as a teacher. So I understood teacher systems, went into academic work and learned like the systems. And so what I ended up doing was... I took, I had a base, I had a very strong base built up in grad school of database management. Okay. So I understood, and so I had a pretty strong use of SPSS understanding. I had an okay use of SAS, and I had a little bit of STATA from way back in the day in my undergrad psychology classes. Okay. And I took that understanding and used that when I needed it for other pieces. So I first started using Salesforce uh, when I started working for CCE. Uh, they use Salesforce for a variety of things. I wasn't the database manager for that, um, but I could understand. I could start learning it then. And so my piece of advice when it comes to that is always pick up the new technical skill you need along the way in your job. Because what keeps happening with me is the same thing. So one of the main reasons I think I got hired by CCE was I understood how to run HLM models from graduate school. So they needed somebody, they were running this big, that Boston study I was talking about. And they need somebody who understood HLM. And I understood HLM and I could do that and then learn the other pieces along the way. I learned a little bit of Salesforce in the database management stuff. And then when I moved on to Teach Plus, there's a heavy Salesforce component. They use other data management systems, but the Salesforce part was probably attractive to them because I could talk to them about that. And then what ended up happening in my current role is a person, our Salesforce administrator left. And so I just had to learn how to do all the Salesforce stuff. And so it was like taking Similar skill sets and learning how to kind of grow them along the way was really important along, along my path. Yeah, just um, making the most of opportunities and being curious and being able mm -hmm. to learn. Was there anything else that you wanted to share about your typical work at Teach Plus? Now, now most, yeah, now most of my typical work, work is working internal. Occasionally, though, I do get to work with uh, clients, which is always fun. Getting to work yeah. with different teachers 
trying to think through their ideas. And that's where you get to kind of use a lot of that community-based research you're talking about or the action research work, is you're having people with very, very little to no research background trying to understand what's going on in their school site. And that can be fun. That's not an everyday, but that is an every once in a while. Oh, I'm still like, my mind's blown um, by the size of the data sets and then also <laughs> um, yeah. the number of surveys that you all <laughs> are producing every year. Um, and it is like, the, there's this combination when you're working in applied research, you mentioned that you love messy data. I mean, and there's mm -hmm. this need to have that tolerance for the messiness, the tolerance for ambiguity, but then also that um, balanced with this kind of precision <laughs> that you need for the statistical uh, modeling. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I guess that's a, a unique combination of traits that you have that makes you a really good fit for this line of work. It works. The tolerance for uh, ambiguity is a big deal. And also, like you could, because you're right. One of my other my main roles is to have to be look at all the things that are going on at once, and what can we actually say as a whole. Yeah. Like that's my future goal is to be able to do more of this aggregate work. But when, as you said, in real life, you have different groups doing different things with their surveys and sometimes they don't add up. Right? And so it's, yeah, how do we, how do you align to make these aggregate conversations is, is a main goal. Yeah. Okay. So to close, is there anything else that you want to share about anything that I didn't ask? And also um, what advice would you have for students and new professionals in the field? So when I think of someone just getting into the field, the, the, one thing I like to talk to when I'm talking to undergrads or even master's students is before you pursue a PhD, make sure you kind of have some general direction of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of, I, one of the things I joke around about is at first I didn't really think I was going to go to college. I was like, ah, and then I ended up doing it. And then I didn't really think I'd get a master's and I ended up, and then it's like these, but my, that kind of delayed way of doing it made it so I didn't end up just doing it to do it too much because then you run into a bunch of people that kind of get their PhD and then don't know what they want to do. And that can be really rough and then you get stuck. And, and adjuncting is a great career if that's what you want to do, but if you're not planning to adjunct, uh, make sure you kind of have a plan for what you're going to do with your PhD. Get it, get it for a reason, I think is a, a big important factor uh, yeah. in there. Um, and the other one is make it, we, t we, hint we hinted at it earlier, is, is make the degree what you want it to be. I think you can really pick up the skills, like the one, what I like to say, if you're gonna go non-academic, just like pick up all the stats and software skills you can. Like just keep, because when you're in the university, all these things are free and you have heavy access to it. And they're the most valuable on the open market. If you're ever gonna be in any system where you're working as a consultant or working outside, it's a strong skill set to have that quantitative base. And I'm not bashing qualitative. My wife is a qualitative researcher. She does great work. In fact, I think her work is oftentimes the most interesting work. But what you're able to find work in is often in the quantitative side when it comes outside of academia. Yeah. And so it's a very important skill set to have. That's great advice. Um, I'll edit out this long pause here as I, I get very involved in listening and then oh, you're good. I forget whatever I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, I, I got so involved in listening to what you were saying because it was so interesting what you were saying about the, um, yeah, getting it for a reason. Oh, I, I remember now. Yeah, so, huh, you just said that you at first thought that you might not go to college. However, you wound up at Columbia. <laughs> so. Oh. <laughs> 
tell us a little bit about how that happened. How did you go from, I'm not sure if I'm going to college to, oh, let me go apply to one of the top <laughs> universities in the country. Yeah. And I, I have to say, and the reason being was I was, I was, I actually was seriously considering military for a while. My, my, uh, my grandfather, and my father both in the military. Okay. And so I was debating that, but what ended up happening was, um, I had never even, I went to a big public school in the Los Angeles area. Um, and it was one of those things where it was like, I didn't really know colleges. I hadn't done a lot of college exploration. Mm -hmm. And so Columbia is the only school outside of California that I applied to, but I was also a, a pretty um, high level high school wrestler. Okay. <laughs> and so I got recruited by a couple of schools and Columbia was one of them. And so that ended up, uh, it was another one of those things of making your uh, situation work for you. So Columbia, and Columbia doesn't give athletic scholarships. So it was this weird combo. I had to make this decision of, I can get an athletic scholarship if I go to these other places, or I can go Ivy League and get zero money and try to figure it out. And I decided to do that. <laughs> and that is and just so, what you did. And it's just what I did. I'd never been to New York before. I'd never even heard of Columbia. I couldn't have listed the Ivies if you asked me. Um, <laughs> and it was, yeah, I know it was a weird, it was weird. <laughs> uh, and, and so what I ended up doing was uh, I had a, you know, I had, a, I had a cousin I'd never met before. And like cousin three times removed. So a cousin maybe seventies uh, who, had, who had gone there as an undergrad in like the fifties. And so he told me, but I said, you should apply, they have wrestling. <laughs> yeah. And I said, okay. And so it became that conversation. So yeah. And then after, and it's a great, it's an interesting story in undergrad because what ended up happening was I ended up taking too many concussions. And this is before people really uh, knew a ton about concussions. And I ended up having to stop wrestling like two years in. And so then I ended up having this focus and that became like a turning point where it all I cared about was wrestling. I'm like, I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to try to go for the Olympics. I'm going to try to do this stuff. Um, and then it became okay. Let's think about what, let's think about how we're gonna do this. Like, how are you gonna do it? You're, you're dealing with the post-concussive syndrome aspects and trying to figure out what we're next and just kind of double down on, on tutoring a bunch of kids to earn money and, <laughs> and studying. And that's actually how I met there. That is fascinating. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, talk about a pivot. I mean- Sorry, like, yeah, that wasn't actually an answer to your question, but yeah. No, 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 that, that <laughs> is the answer to that. That's oh, okay. how you ended up there. And um, <laughs> I, I just, I love these types of stories. Yeah, so you're, you're wrestling and you're all about, I mean, that's your main focus. And then you have this turning point with the injuries where, you know, um, you have to shift from your initial goal um, where you were gonna stay focused on kind of pursuing the Olympics and um, and you made the shift, you know, you didn't let that discourage you for too long. You, you know, kind of figured out how to pursue um, a new goal. And so, and you do not have to, I, I will edit this out if you don't want to answer this. Yeah. But I, so, so you mentioned tutoring in school. I mean, so did you work through school to pay for it or, you know? Like, yeah, no, you know, I don't how did, you, how did you make it? Because you mentioned you just figured out how to make it work. <laughs> so how did you we, make it work? We, yeah, so I... <laughs> This is, this is the part that uh, it's like, when you look back on it, it's probably not the best financial decisions um, <laughs> when you go through it, because it's like, yeah, there was no, it's like, all right, how are we going to figure this out? Yeah. Um, there wasn't, my family didn't have the finances to really pull it off. And so what ended up, what I ended up doing was I worked a lot. Um, and, and so what ended up, and what ended up happening was, is I would, my typical undergraduate life would be, I worked security on work study. And so I would get, I'd start in at about 8 p.m. and I'd work until about 7 a.m. doing security. 
Wow. And then I get off, I go to sleep in the psychology department couches, um, get a couple hours of sleep, go to class. And then right before, what would happen is on usually like two or three days a week, I would go down to the, uh, to the east side, which is where a lot of really wealthy families were. And I would tutor this uh, young man who was having a really hard time with college, but he had the family resources to basically pay me decently to sit there hourly and make sure he did his homework oh. um, and help him get into college. That was my goal. My goal was to make sure he graduated high school and got into college. And so that was the big tutor. And so I would do that a couple of days a week. And so, yeah, it was, I was, I was working and tutoring and earning uh, a lot more than I was in a class. <laughs> My day was very busy in there until we finally yeah. got through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I might have to rearrange this and put this in the beginning because this is <laughs> a very much, um, I mean, the rest of your story is also fascinating, but this is just kind of like, uh, the icing on the cake. I mean, the fact that you were so resilient um throughout kind of these challenges so i mean a lot of people would including probably myself i'm not sure that i would have had the discipline to work all night sleep on the couch then go <laughs> work and tutor and balance my classes i mean i'd like to think that i would maybe i would but <laughs> it's awesome that you actually did um so thanks yeah oh go ahead go ahead oh no i was just thinking like when i look back at undergrad it was not fun like i don't look back at we talk, you know, sometimes people want that college life and they kind of look back on it. For me, college was really about, okay, I'm going to do something to get it done and, and try to do something next. And so it was a lot of work and for, on my side of it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun, but for right. me, it was a lot more of just kind of getting through it <laughs> yeah. to the next stage. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you were able to stay focused on that goal. I mean, maybe too, as you've alluded to with your parents, you know, they kind of, they were like, look, this is what you do. You know, you, <laughs> you get mm -hmm. through this next level. And so, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sure that that focus and determination from them really helped to encourage you um, to, to stay, stay the course. Well, this has just been really fascinating. Thank you so much, Dr. Feisman, for taking the time to talk with me. Well, thank you, Erica. It was a pleasure talking to you too. And I know that students across the country will um, be interested to hear this interview and learn about a new field. A lot of people aren't always as familiar with applied research. So glad we're able to highlight that. It's a lot of fun. It's yes. Yeah. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good stuff. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the HDFS Careers Podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they're not working in a job that would normally be considered in the field. I'm interested in hearing a variety of stories, especially if they're working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it in iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.